Amen. How many can say amen this morning? Amen. It's good to be here. If you have your Bibles, do me a favor and open up with me to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible this morning, the the little outline that we gave you is going to help you out to stay with us and, and not get lost. And Lord willing, understand everything we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, This morning, we're going to continue our study that we've been looking at for the past month on the seven letters to the seven churches found in Revelation chapter two and three and Revelation chapter two and three. The Lord Jesus gave seven messages or, or seven letters to seven different churches in Asia Minor. Each church had their weaknesses, had their strengths, and the Lord Jesus, as the head of the church, sent them these messages to encourage them, to exhort them, and to correct some of them who were a little out of line with his will. And so we've been looking at the seven letters to the seven churches and last Sunday if you were here with us we looked at the third letter written to the church of Pergamos there found in verses 12 through 17 in chapter 2 of the book of Revelation now in his message to the church of Pergamos the Lord Jesus took the time to commend the church for their personal loyalty, and for their public confession. Although the church lived in a very bad environment, they were located in a very ungodly environment and surrounding, they were holding fast to the name of Jesus, and they were not denying the faith. They were staying faithful to the Lord, even in the midst of ungodly city. And the Lord noticed and the Lord took the time to commend them, to give them a word of praise. Yet, even though the Lord took the time to commend this church, he also took the time to send a word of correction to the church. The Lord had a few things against the church of Pergamos. This church had in their midst those who were compromising the faith and those who were trying to spiritually rule over the people. In other words, inside this church, there were those who were trying to bring the ways of the world into the church. You might say that they had one foot in the church and one foot in the world. They were intermingling with the world. And the Lord Jesus, he took notice and right away he corrected them or condemned them for it. And he exhorted them to repent. In other words, he told them, man, clean up your act, get right, be holy Or else I am going to bring a severe judgment 
and I'm going to correct you and discipline you. As we saw last week, the Lord Jesus is serious about the purity and the holiness of his church. As believers, as Christians, followers of Christ, we have been called to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. If we're not, then there's nothing special about us. We're the same as everyone else. And so the Lord took the time to really share with this church that we looked at last Sunday that they needed to clean up their act and they needed to repent or else they were going to suffer the consequences. And so that's what we looked at last Sunday in our study. In this morning, we're going to continue our study and we're going to look at the fourth of the seven letters and it was written to the church of Thyatira. It's a very hard name to pronounce. I would encourage you not to name a child after the church. Thyatira. And it's found in Revelations chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And so if you have your Bibles open, let's read verses 18 through 29. And then we're going to get into our study. And if you have it, and if you're with me, let me know by saying amen. 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 My my sis even threw up a little hand like, yeah. Let's begin. And this is what it says. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, these things says, the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, in his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols and i gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent indeed i will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds i will kill her children with death And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come and he overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him. I will give power to, I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my father and I will give him 
the morning star. Verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Amen. So this morning, we want to examine the letter to the church of Thyatira here in Revelations chapter 2 verses 18 through 29. Now, if you look with me at verse 18, the Lord Jesus begins his message by declaring to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? Now, if you recall in past studies, we have said that the term angel here used at the beginning of each letter to the churches is most likely a reference to the pastor or the spiritual leader of the church. The word angel is the Greek word angelos, and it simply means messenger. Now, typically in the Bible, the the word refers to a heavenly messenger as we understand the term angel. But occasionally in the Bible, the term is used to describe a human messenger. And that would be the case, it seems, here in verse 18. It's a reference to the messenger or the pastor of the church. Now, the city of Thyatira, whom the Lord addressed this letter to, was located about 40 miles southeast of Pergamos, of the last church we studied last Sunday. Now, in John's time, when this message or this letter would have been written, the city of Thyatira was known as a manufacturing center of all of Asia Minor. What do I mean by that? In the city, they manufactured and they produced many products. They were known for producing wool, producing linen, for producing leather, for producing pottery and dye. And the list goes on and on of all kind of products that this city was famous for producing or manufacturing. If you recall... In the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 14, we are told that when Paul went to Philippi, he met a woman named Lydia. And we're told that this woman was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, from the city that we're reading about. So this city was very well known and very popular for manufacturing products or items, you might say. Now, because the city, and this is important for you to understand as we study this message, because the city was a manufacturing center of all of that province or area, because of that, the city was filled with what we call trade guilds for all the products manufactured. Let me explain it 
a little more easier for you to understand. Because the city produced so many things, it was filled with unions. Unions associated with the products that were manufactured. Now, if you didn't belong to one of these unions or one of these trade guilds, historians tell us that it was next to impossible for you to make a living or for you to pursue your trade in the city. If you weren't a member of a union, you were not going to make a living in the city of Thyatira. Now, the reason why I took the time to share this little bit of information to you was for this reason. This was a big problem for the Christians who were living in the city of Thyatira. You see, if they became a member of a union or a trade guild, they were going to prosper materially. They were going to have great success in their job and their respected trade, but they would have compromised spiritually. You see, if you were part of a union, if you were part of a trade guild, you were expected to participate in their religious practices and what we call their pagan feasts. In other words, you were expected to do a lot of things that were not honoring to God, to practice sexual immorality and idolatry. And so the Christians in Thyatira, they were all always being tempted and pressured to join a trade guild, to become a member of a union. Because if they didn't, they weren't able to support their family and they weren't able to make a living. But if they joined a union, a trade guild, they would make the money and be able to support their family, but they would fall into corruption and they would compromise their faith. And so they were always tempted to spiritually compromise in order to prosper materially. And a lot of times as Christians, we also are tempted with the same thing. We can be at work. We can be amongst our, our job and our associates. And if we do something we're not supposed to, maybe lie on something, we're gonna make a little more money and we're going to be a little more successful. But if we honor the Lord and if we do what's right, especially when taxes come around, we're not going to make that much more money. And so the church and the believers in Thyatira, they're always being tempted and pressured concerning these things. And so in saying that as a way of introduction, this morning we want to look and examine this message the Lord gave to the church of Thyatira. And we want to look 
at five things. Very easy. I think everyone is going to understand the teaching, the study this morning. All you have to do is just follow along in your outline and you won't have a problem. We're going to look at five things. And the first thing, if you want to look with me in the paper you received, the first thing we're going to look at is the description of Christ. The Lord begins the message in verse 18 by describing himself in three ways to the church of Thyatira. And let's look at those three ways briefly. First, the Lord describes himself as the son of God. Jesus says in verse 18, these things says the son of God. Now, the title son of God, it's a reference to the deity of Christ. What do I mean by that? Simply this. When Jesus says he's the son of God, he is telling us clearly and explicitly that he is God. So remember, because some get so confused by that title. I've talked to some who believe in something different than we do. And and they say, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. But I don't believe that Jesus is God. That is the biggest contradiction you will ever hear. Because by saying Jesus is the son of God, what we are saying is that he is the son in the order of God. What do I mean by that? Simply this, that as the son of God, Jesus shares the same nature. As God, son in the order of God. Now, during Jesus's times, specifically in the Gospels, we read that the Jews and the religious leaders, they understood without a doubt that when Jesus said he was the son of God, that he was claiming to be equal With God, I want to give you a reference, and it is in John chapter 5, verse 18. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it briefly. We read these words. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill Jesus because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And you can also look, if you're taking notes, at John chapter 10, verse 33. And so Jesus begins his message by describing himself as the son of God. And in doing so, he was reminding this church and he was reminding us that he's not simply a prophet or a wise man or a good moral teacher who had a lot of good ideas, but he is God Almighty. And because he is God Almighty, he must be the only object of our worship. Because Jesus is God, he is worthy of my life. He is worthy 
of my worship. He is worthy of my energy and my time. Serving Jesus is not a waste of time or a waste of the life because he truly is worthy for he is the son of God. Amen. Amen. So the first way the Lord describes himself is as the son of God. Let's continue and look at the second thing the Lord tells us concerning himself. Secondly, the Lord describes himself as having eyes like a flame of fire that Jesus tells us that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Now, this description of Jesus's eyes, it speaks of the piercing and perfect vision he has. Listen to this. Jesus sees all things. Jesus sees, he knows, he's conscious, he's aware of all things. Look at what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 tells us. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If you look down with me to verse 23, there in Revelations 2, Jesus tells us that he searches the mind and the heart. So, so Jesus tells us that he has eyes like a flame of fire. And in doing so, he's telling us that nothing goes unnoticed from him. That everything that we do, everything we say, everything we think, he knows. He's watching. He is aware of it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about that, it's very sobering to me. It makes me think twice what I'm doing, what I'm watching, what I'm thinking, where I'm going. To understand that wherever you're at, whatever you do, that God is watching. And one day you're going to have to give account to everything you've done, everything you've said here on earth. You know, I remember when I was young in my high school days before I gave my life to Christ. I remember I I was a partier. I lived a very immoral lifestyle. A very empty lifestyle. And I remember when I would go out at night, my mom was always there to meet me at the door. Praise God. And I remember she used to always say, hey, you're going out and and I'm not going with you. And I'm not going to be able to see what you're doing. But I want you to always remember, maybe I can't see. Maybe I'm not going to be aware. But someone is. And God is watching you. And God is looking at you and you are going to have to be accountable to him one day. I remember when my mom would tell me those words, I would think to myself, thanks for messing up my nights. And I would go out with my friends and it was as if I heard the echoing of her voice going through my mind. Someone's watching. Someone's aware of what you're doing 
You can't do nothing unnoticed from God. You know, one of my friends went to Vegas for the week and, and she was making a comment on her Facebook. Yes, I, at times, go on Facebook. It's a good way to keep in touch with friends and learn random stuff. But she was telling her social community that as she was in Vegas, she saw a billboard that caught her eye. And the billboard said, what happens in Vegas, God sees. And when I heard that, I said, praise God. The biggest lie of Satan is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But because the truth is, it doesn't stay in Vegas because it's being recorded in heaven. And one day they're going to have to give account. And so Jesus has eyes like flames of fire. And because of that, what, what's the implication? What's the application? We need to make sure that we're keeping our hands clean, that we're keeping our hearts pure, that we're keeping our minds sober that we're keeping our bodies undefiled because someone is watching and that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, family, listen, friend, you might be able to keep something from me or from the pastor or for another Christian, but the truth is you're not going to be able to keep it from the only one who matters. No, so many people are concerned, like, oh, no, what if Adam finds out? Who cares about Adam? You need to worry about King Jesus, because at the end of the day, you're not going to stand in front of Adam. You're not going to be standing in front of the pastor, but you're going to be standing in front of King Jesus. And on that day, there's going to be no excuses. There's going to be no lying or no hypocrisy. Because he's going to know everything and it's going to be recorded in a book. And we need to guard ourselves and we need to walk in holiness. Amen. Let's look at the third way the Lord describes himself. He describes himself as the son of God, as having eyes like a flame of fire. And he also describes himself as having feet like fine Brass. Now, throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible, the metal brass is used symbolically of judgment. So when the Lord tells us or when he tells the church that he has feet like fine brass, in essence, this is what he's saying, that he's ready to bring judgment. That's the whole idea behind it, that he's ready to. To bring a judgment as we're going to see the church of Thyatira, they struggled with corruption. They struggled with sin. The church is actually known as the corrupt church. And so Jesus wants this church to understand from the beginning that he's aware of their corrupt condition. And if they don't repent... If they don't clean up, he's going to bring judgment. He's going to discipline and correct them. And so the first thing we see is the description 
of Christ. Now, let's look at point two in your outline. And the second thing we want to look at in this message is the word of commendation by Christ. What does that simply mean? That simply means the word of praise by Christ. After describing himself to this church, the Lord takes the time to give them a word of praise, to let them know what they're doing a good job at. And the Lord commends the church for one thing there in verse 19. And look with me, family. He commends them for their increase in works. The Lord says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than The first. And so the Lord commends this church for their increase in works. What does that mean? That simply means this. As time went on, the church in Thyatira were serving and ministering to the Lord more and more. They were maturing. They were growing in their Christian service. As Christians, they were more busier for the Lord than when they first got saved. And the Lord took notice and the Lord commended them for it. Now, this commendation by the Lord, it's so important because my desire and your desire should be That as Christians over time, our works and our service unto the Lord would increase. That should be the desire of your heart as a Christian. That as time goes on, you grow in your relationship with the Lord and in your service for the Lord. You know, in 2 Peter Chapter 3, verse 18, Peter tells us, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, our desire should always be to grow. We should never get comfortable or we should never be satisfied where we're at in our relationship with Christ, in our service unto Christ, but our desire should always be to grow. Our desire should always be to do more. Let me ask you this question, and you can answer it to yourself. This year, 2010, have you grown in your relationship with Christ? Or are you at the same place you were when the year started? Have you grown? Are you more mature in the faith? Do you have a better knowledge in understanding of Christ? Or have you taken steps back? Have you, instead of matured, have you immatured? Have you grown this year? You know, it's sad, but... Oftentimes, I see believers who've been serving the Lord 
for years. I'm talking about 20, 30, some even 40 years. And they're so content. They're so satisfied where they're at that they never grow. They never do nothing for the Lord. And I see believers who have only been serving the Lord for a year or for two years that do more for the Lord than those who have been serving the Lord for 30 to 40 years. And I think to myself, how sad, how tragic that they've got comfortable and that they're satisfied and content where they're at in their relationship with Jesus. You know, every morning, my desire, my prayer is that I would get to know Jesus better and that I would grow, that I would grow in the knowledge and in the grace of Jesus Christ. Our works need to increase over time. And if they're not, then something's wrong. You need to examine your walk and you need to remove everything or everyone who's keeping you from growing. Amen. Amen. So the second thing we see is the commendation by Christ. Let's look at the third thing. The third thing we want to look at is the word of correction by Christ found in verses 20 through 23. The the Lord, he brought a word of correction. Everything wasn't good at this church, but the Lord brought a word of correction against two problems within the church. And, And I want to read them with you. So look with me in your outline first. He brought a word of correction against the church's tolerance of sin. Look with me, verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow, that's another word for tolerate, that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality. And to eat things sacrificed to idols. And so the first thing the Lord brings a word of correction against is the church's tolerance of sin. You see, within the church there in Thyatira, there was a self-proclaimed, that's just another word for false, prophetess whom the Lord referred to as Jezebel who was teaching and seducing the Christians within the church into sinning. This woman, she was teaching the believers that it was okay to commit sexual immorality and that it was okay to practice idolatry. She was teaching the believers, man, it's okay. Go do what everyone else is doing. Go become a member of a trade guild of those unions and just party it up. Have sex with anyone you want. Drink whatever you want. Live your life however you want to. It's okay. That was the message of this false prophetess. And sadly, the church there in Thyatira They were allowing this woman 
to spread corruption. And they were tolerating her sin. In other words, she was teaching the saints, the believers, that it was okay to sin. And the church wasn't doing anything about it. They weren't speaking against sin, but they were tolerating sin. And Jesus, he took notice and he sent a word of correction. And it was as if the Lord said, why are you tolerating sin? Why are you staying silent? Why are you allowing this woman to spread corruption? You know, within the church and within your life as a believer, sin must never be tolerated. Sin must never be ignored. But listen to this. Sin has to be forsaken. Sin has to be confessed. And sin has to be dealt with immediately. You know, as believers, we need to hate sin. We need to, do, do you hate sin this morning? Do you hate sin or, or do you tolerate sin? Or do you welcome it with open arms? Yeah, come on in. Let's party it up. What's your attitude towards sin? Do, do you hate sin? Do you despise sin? Let me share this with you. One of the sins or one of the things that I hate the most, I hate a lot of things, sin, you know, don't misunderstand me, but I hate alcoholism. I hate drunkenness. You know why? Because I know so many families who have been destroyed because of alcohol. I know so many marriages that have been broken apart because of alcohol. I know so many people that have died of cirrhosis of the liver. My uncle at an early age because of alcohol. And you know what I think of alcohol? I hate it. I despise it. I can't stand it because I hate the consequences that it brings. What can we say about drugs? What can we say about fornication, about pornography? And all that other stuff. Do we tolerate it? Or do we hate it? No. Sadly many churches. In America. They tolerate sin. Because they want to be. Accepted by man. You know the, the most famous pastor. I don't even call him a pastor. The most famous. Motivational speaker. In America, who has the largest church, he said it live on Larry King that he doesn't even talk about sin because he doesn't want to offend anyone. I think to myself, why are you a pastor? What are you more concerned with being accepted by man, pleasing man or pleasing God or being accepted by God? We need to speak out. Against and don't be afraid to speak out against and listen to this. You might not like what I say and you might not come back next Sunday, but, but that's okay. I have to tell you, I have to speak truth. You no know, truth hurts, but deception kills. Don't be deceived. 
I'd rather, I'd rather you get mad at me in this lifetime, spend eternity with me in heaven, than for you to like me in this lifetime and spend eternity separated from God. But what I was going to say is this. If you practice sin, you're going to go to hell. Straight up. Don't take it for my word, but that's what the Bible teaches. If you practice sin, if you live an immoral lifestyle and refuse to repent, refuse to give your life to Christ and receive the free gift of salvation and forgiveness, what you're doing is what you're saying is, God, I reject you. I want nothing to do with you, and I want to be separated from you for all of eternity. And God is so loving and so just that God allows us to choose. You know, a lot of people have a problem with how, and they say, how could a loving God send people to hell? And I always respond, how could a loving God force people to go to heaven? How is that possible? How could a just God violate someone's free will and force them into heaven? That wouldn't be too just. That wouldn't be too loving. You know what they call force love, right? We call it rape. And God is is not a divine rapist. That's not the God of the Bible. And so God gives us free will to choose. And you can choose to receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And you can choose to be forgiven, to be saved from the penalty of your sins. Or you can choose to do your own thing. But if you do your own thing, guess what? At the end of the day, that's what you're going to get. Your own thing. And we got to speak the truth. And we got to share the gospel. We can't be afraid. You know, one thing I've learned throughout the years, that if you're going to be behind one of these on Sunday or Wednesday, you can't be a coward. You got to speak truth. Regardless if... People get offended. You got to let them know what the word of God teaches and the word of God teaches that those who practice sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the word of God also teaches for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. How many could say amen to that? Amen. So the Lord brought a word of correction First, against their tolerance of sin. This church, they were allowing this, I'm going to call her this crazy woman, you know, to just tell the saints, man, go for it. Just sin, live it up. And they were not saying nothing. 
And the Lord sent a word of correction. Now, secondly, the Lord sent a word of correction against their failure to repent. Look with me, verse 21, and it's in your outline. The Lord declared, declared, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not. And so, second thing the Lord brought a word of correction against was their failure to repent. The Lord gave this self-proclaimed prophetess, this crazy woman, time to repent of her sexual immorality, of her idolatry, but she failed to repent. She failed to take advantage of the opportunity that was given to her. And so the Lord tells the church, That because she failed to repent, he was going to bring a severe judgment upon her. And not only her, but all those who followed her, unless they repented. Now, listen to this. This is such an important principle that I want to take the time to share with you. Throughout your Christian walk, as you all probably have figured out already, There's going to be times that you fail. There's going to be times that you make mistakes. No one's perfect. And there's going to be times that we're going to stumble. We're going to get tripped up. We're not perfect, but we are forgiven. But during those times, this is the all important question that you're going to be confronted with to answer. And please pay attention to this. This is the question you're going to have to answer. What do I do after I sin? What's next? You stumble, you fall, you you make a mistake. But what do you do after you make your mistake? After you fall, after you stumble. Now, you can do one of two things. You could continue in your sin. You can continue to stumble and fall. Or you can repent of your sin. You can confess your sin. And you can turn to Christ for forgiveness and for restoration you know it's amazing to think that jesus will always give us an opportunity to repent of our sins and to get right but we need to make sure that we're taking advantage of that opportunity or else like this woman and like her followers we will suffer consequences if we kind of just postpone you know coming to christ if we delay giving our life to christ god gives us the opportunity god wants to forgive god wants to heal god wants to restore god wants to bring purpose value meaning satisfaction fulfillment to your life he's there offering The free gift of salvation, of forgiveness. But 
what do we do with that opportunity? Do we delay it? Do we postpone it? Do we say to ourselves, I'm too young? It's for old people. Man, I'm 28. It's not for old people. Straight up. Sis right here is 15, 16. It's not for old people. My mom was eight years old when she gave her life to Christ. She died at 59. She served Jesus 51 years. You want to know what? When she died, she died in peace. Oh, man. That's, it's worth it. It's not for old people. We're given the opportunity. But what do you do with the opportunity? Don't, don't delay repentance. Don't delay salvation. Because tomorrow is not promised to no one. Today's the day of salvation, amen? Today's the day to repent. Today's the day to get right with the Lord. Today's the day to be freed from the bondage of sin. Today's the day to allow the Lord to loose and break those chains of addiction that you've been struggling with. To to free you from the bondage and the slavery of sin. Today's the day of salvation. It can't be delayed. It can't be postponed because tomorrow is not promised to anybody. Amen. You know, I remember I I learned that so vividly when I was 17 years old. The, The day was December 16th. 1999, I was 17 year old, 17 years old. My best friend at the time was 19 years old. It was a Wednesday night. I talked to him at 10 p.m. in the night. He was good. He was well. He was happy. At 5 a.m. in the morning, seven hours later, his grandpa His uncle knocked on my door. My dad is my witness. He was there and they told us Mondi's Armando Serna is dead. Seven hours. Tomorrow is not promised to anybody. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. You can't postpone salvation. You can't postpone Jesus because you never know. If you won't have another opportunity, but God is so loving and gracious and friends. I don't even understand this at times, but this morning he's giving us an opportunity. Amen. Amen. Oh, brother. Amen. Praise God to that. Let's continue. I got seven minutes. Fifteen minutes. No, I'm just kidding. The fourth thing we want to look at is the word of exhortation by Christ. It's found in verse 25. The Lord Jesus exhorted this church, those who were remaining faithful, those who didn't know the depths of Satan. The Lord exhorted them to do one thing there in verse 25. The Lord told them, but hold fast what you have till I come. 
That was the exhortation. That was the encouragement that Jesus gave this church. You see, the Lord understood that this church, these believers, those who are being faithful, that they were facing temptation, that they were facing pressure to compromise, to give in, to give up, to throw in the towel. And the Lord brought this encouragement this exhortation, and he just told them to do one thing, and that one thing was hold fast, hold on until I come. Don't give in, don't give up, don't throw in the towel. I know it's tough, I know you battle, I know you struggle, I know the things of the world are enticing, but but hold fast. What you have, don't give up, don't give in, because I'm returning. I'm coming back for you. I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to invade this world, and I'm going to rapture you and take you to heaven. But don't give in. Don't give up. And, And when I read that, this morning, Without a doubt, I can say that in the same way, the Holy Spirit tells us, believers, Christians, don't give in, don't give up, but hold fast to what you have. Don't let go of Jesus. This morning, be encouraged, hold fast. What you have, you know, you know, the truth is this week, we're going to all be tempted. We're going to all be enticed by the ways of the world. But the Lord tells us before the week starts, hold fast. Hold on to me. Don't give on. Don't give up. We're closer to the return of Christ than at any other time in church history. And we need to hold fast amen we need to hold on to jesus and don't you let go no matter how hard it gets no matter how much you're tempted or enticed or pressured don't give in don't give up because at the end of the day oh man it's gonna be all worth it Amen. When we're in the presence of the Lord, believe me, you're not going to be complaining about any sacrifice you had to make here on earth. You know, there's a a famous speech that was given on a October 29th, 1941. And it was given by the prime minister of England at that time. His name was Winston Churchill, the most famous, the most influential politician in England and and probably of all the world in the 20th century. And and Winston Churchill, he went to a group of students and talked to them at the school that he used to attend as a young child. The school, I believe, was called Harold's School. And, And Winston Churchill went to to give the the students some encouragement, some exhortation, and to inspire them. You're talking about Winston Churchill, 
pretty much the one that God used single-handedly to resist the Third Reich, to resist Hitler and the Nazis from invading all of the Western world. And, and, and Winston Churchill spoke to the students, and, and as he was standing in front of them, one of the things that he told them, and, and this is one of the most famous speeches that he gave, he told them, never, ever, 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 never give in. And historians tell us that after he said that, the crowd exploded in applause. Never give in. Never, never, ever, ever, ever. Never, ever, ever, ever give in. And this morning, that's what the Holy Spirit tells us. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel, but be faithful until the end. And the Lord will give you the crown of life. Amen. 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 Let's finish up. And we're going to end with this. The promise of Christ. That's the fifth thing we're going to look at. It's found in verses 26 through 28. The Lord ends his message to the church with a promise to all those who overcome. According to 1 John 5, 5, overcomers are those who believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And the Lord promises overcomers two things. I'm going to end with this and let's look at them together. First, they're in your outline. The Lord promises overcomers the power to rule over the nations. And he says, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him, I will give power over the nations. Listen to this. One day Jesus is going to return to the earth. The Bible promises and teaches us that. And when he returns, he's going to set up and establish his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. And he promises believers that when he establishes his kingdom, we're going to rule and reign with him. What an amazing promise. Let's look at the second promise that the Lord gives. He promises overcomers the morning star. Look with me at verse 28. And I will give him the morning stars. Now, of all the promises found to the seven letters, to the seven churches, this promise has always ministered to my heart in a very special way and i'm going to end with this in revelations chapter 22 verse 16 the lord jesus tells us that he is the morning star so 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 listen to this this is the promise the lord promises to give us the morning star and so By doing so, in reality, he promises to give us himself. And so 
for all of eternity, we are going to have Jesus. And friend, I don't know about you, but that's all I want is Jesus. You know, there's a song that says, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. How true that is. You can have whatever you want. You can have all the riches, all the cars, all the relationships, all the houses, all the material possessions of this world. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. But when you have Jesus, you have everything. Amen. Jesus is enough. How many can say amen to that? And friend, if you're here visiting us and if you don't have Jesus, make sure to get to know him. Make sure to give your life to him before you leave. And if you would like, after service, come talk to me and I'll tell you a little more about Jesus. And I'll let you know how you can begin a relationship with him because without him, you're just wasting your life. Let's pray. Father.